I struggled over this. I love this passage. But in trying to prepare it, it was just like pulling teeth in some ways. And um, I finished up the outline last night, before yesterday afternoon, before coming out here. And then when I checked on it this morning, found out that the last of my work had not even saved. Um, and tried to get it to save, and it wouldn't save. And so the last end of my outline is blank. Um, <laughs> we'll just see what goes on. But that's going to be the part that's inspired. There it is. <laughs> no, no, no please don't think that. <laughs> so last week, who can give me a something we we gleaned last week? Something we discussed last week. How intense the whole book of John is going to be. How intense <laughs> the whole book of John's going to be. Interesting word there. I think it's going to come up again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in intense. Yeah. And the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. Uh, <laughs> Tabernacle, tent. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you know, this prologue, I, I have really struggled wanting to read for you uh, what John Chrysostom wrote about this passage. Mm. Um, oh, my word, it's fantastic about how God draws our spirits away from this earth and into the eternal, and then, like, taking us to the middle of the ocean where we can see no land around us, bids us look further. Because he has taken us into this eternal realm. And I'm going to get into that a little bit, in, because in what we cover today, uh, John does a, a very distinct contrast between what we saw about Christ last week and what, what we're going to see about John the Baptist this week. Uh, we begin in verse 6 of John chapter 1, if you don't know where we are. Uh, John chapter 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, right there in our English Bibles, we do not really <coughs> see what John's getting at because it's really hard in our English language without getting a lot of verbiage in there to, port, to communicate what he's saying. You see, everything he said about Christ in the first five verses, almost every time you see the word was, it's a very interesting structure. Because how many of you have ever had to work with a timeline? You know what a time what's a timeline look like? You got a straight line with yeah, you got vertical stuff. And a beginning and an end. And a beginning and an end. Okay. So over here, I'm doing this in reverse for me, so it's right for you. Here's the beginning of the timeline. In verse one, what is the beginning? Word. No, 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 I don't mean that. <laughs> I mean 
what is meant by the phrase in the beginning, the beginning of, time. of time, of everything outside of God. And then it says, in the beginning was the Word. And for those of you who have a background, who like English grammar or language, you know, the grammar of language, the word was is in the imperfect tense. Meaning, I don't want to get too technical here, but it means he's going through the line. And on. And on. In the beginning, he had no beginning. Whereas here, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, is in the straight past tense. Literally could be translated, there came to be a man sent from God. And immediately we see from John's heart this desire to communicate, look, Christ is different from anything and everything that we thought of before. He was. John came to be. And my screensaver just kicked in. That's always good. Seriously, can, you, can I? You may. Uh, so you're kind of saying that because John has a beginning, that's different from Christ who's always been. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That here is the beginning, and at some point after that, there came to be a man named John. But here's the beginning, and Christ was. And just the contrast is so stark. That's what Chrysostom was talking about when he talked about drawing our minds out to this infinite-looking ocean that had no, no, no buildings, no structures, nothing else we could see. What are, what's before the beginning? What can we see? What is there? Christ. The Word, I should say. So there was this man sent from God whose name was John. And even talking about that man, John, John is talking about him for the purpose of revealing Christ to us. Of drawing our minds to the difference between Christ and every other person that ever walked this planet. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. That's interesting to me that he uses the word witness so much in this, here in this, in this passage, especially in, in verse 7, where he uses it twice in such close proximity. He came as a witness to bear witness. There are two sides to being a witness. The one is, you got to see something happen. And the other is, you got to testify to it. 
And that's, that's the, what he's drawing there. He, he came as a witness. He was to see something. To bear witness. He was to talk about it. And we're going to get into what that was that he was to see and talk about. Um, he was not the light, however, as the Jews mistakenly thought he might be. Yes, I get really thirsty sometimes. <laughs> So, another thing that comes out in this is that this word came to be, that's used of John, there came to be a man sent from God whose name was John, is it's the exact same word and the exact same structure the parsing here is the same as without him, without him the, the, the word was not anything made that was made. And so he's, he's taking credit even for, or giving credit to the word for making John. So what else can you all kick in about what we, what we know about John in terms of his person and his work and his message? Doesn't have to come from this passage per se, but what can you give me about John the Baptist? To prepare the way for the Lord. To prepare the way, okay. Interesting little cultural thing in, in and of itself. Can you build on where that comes from? What that thought? If I had a reference, I would. Okay, okay. The term was used when when royalty would, or you know, like the emperor or whoever was making a journey. There were teams sent out ahead of time to heralds. level to heralds, but not just heralds. But there were people sent out to level the path. To, to take out, you know, like fixed potholes and, and things that would that would make the trip more smooth. Um, that's why he talks about in in I believe it's Matthew um, make make straight and, or level in the in the wilderness a highway for our God. Uh, every every valley shall be exalted, every mountain made low. Uh, <clears throat> so there was one thing that caught my attention about him that I think deserves a little bit of, of attention. Uh, and that is, we're told in um, not here in John, and I forgot to write down the reference, what John wore and what he ate. Anybody remember that? Locusts and honey. Locusts and wild honey. And he wore camel's hair. Yeah. And a leather belt. Why are we given the, that information? 
Well, this is in... Somebody turn to 2 Kings chapter 1 and read out verses 7 and 8, please. The king asked them, What sort of man came up to meet you and spoke those words to you? They replied, A hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. He said, It's Elijah the Tishbite. Hmm. Interesting. And it's interesting. What, what translation? Oh, holy. Oh, holy. Okay. I thought I remember reading in there about what the what his clothing was, um, but anyway, garment of hair. Yeah, but a garment of hair. Yeah, um, I think that her translation said a hairy man, um, but um, it was a garment of hair and a leather belt. And what was prophesied toward the end of the Old Testament about Elijah? I, and I will send Elijah to two different prophecies. One refers to it as the spirit and power of Elijah, and the other refers to Elijah will come. And here comes this man, dressed like Elijah, and preaching. I think that's significant in terms of this. It reveals to us something of God. The fact that he was about to do something major, the most significant events in history, were about to start happening. Events that he had prophesied. We have a God who communicates to us. And a God who, through various means, some of which are called signs, and that's the term that John uses all through here for what we call miracles, he calls them signs, through signs, he communicates to us, hey, time to pay attention to this. Here's my message. Here's what I want to say. It's happening, whatever it is. And John was one of those signs. His appearance, looking like Elijah, preaching against sin. What was Elijah's message? All about, what's that? Repent. Way back then. And what's John's message? Repent. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of talk about Elijah's being out in the wilderness and um, his using baptism. There's a lot of talk in archaeological circles and uh, cultural, or I don't know what the term is for that, where they come to their ideas about what culture was like back then. They talk about John being influenced by the Essenes. That's not what this is about. Even if it's true, that's not the important thing. The important thing is, God had prophesied Elijah would come, and he, or, and this, or the spirit and power of Elijah would come, and he did it. He is faithful to his word, and he 
communicates in ways that we can see, that we can see and hear. And primarily, we, we have now Christ himself and the Word. And that's all we need. That's what's meant by that part of the battle cry of the Reformation, sola scriptura. We want to look at this word because it is the revelation of God to us. So his work, I mentioned earlier, was to see something so that he might testify to what he saw. Um, what about his message? We already talked about it. It was repent. It was, and it was even, to a certain extent, talking about himself. Uh, we'll see next week, I think, where the Pharisees send messengers to him saying, what do you have to say for yourself? And he basically says, I'm not here to talk about myself. I'm here to talk about somebody who's coming after me. Um, and he said, I am not Elijah. Because they were asking, are you actually the resurrected Elijah? Or are you actually the reincarnated or whatever? They wanted to know, was he actually Elijah? And I am not Elijah. I am not that prophet. Because he's talking about their definitions of what that prophet would be. I am not this. I am not that. And we're told in these verses that we've already read, he was not that light. But then the other part of his message was, but he is. He is. How many times are we told in the next verses? And we'll cover it in more detail. I don't know who's teaching it. I don't want to steal his whoever's thunder. But we're told several times about John just seeing Jesus coming and going, there, look at him. Don't look at me. I'm just the voice crying in the wilderness. The witness. He was sent to be a witness, to bear witness to the, to the light. John's person and work communicate to us the faithfulness of God in his communications with us. Look at uh, chapter 10, John, verse 41. Somebody read that. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. Notice, look at that in the light of, of what we hear about Christian ministry, what it should be. It's got to be flashy. It's got to be trendy. It's got to be exciting. It's got to be filled with signs and wonders. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. No. John didn't do any miracles. None. But everything he said about Jesus was true. Why? Because he was God's witness. 
those, to those of us who actually stand in places like this or sit in a Bible study and open the word and present it, what kind of a responsibility does this lay on? What's that? Speak the truth. I remember once being asked to lead a, a Bible study, one session of a Bible study, and I, I worked and I worked and I worked for weeks in, in advance trying to prepare something, and it was like everything was dry. Everything was, no, this is, this is I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not able to formulate it. What, what do these people need to hear? And I ended, what I ended up doing was go, going there and going, look, I, the only message I have to give for you, to you is, and I took them to a couple verses that talked about the dangers of opening your mouth when God hasn't sent you to speak. And I said, that's it. That, I, he didn't give me anything, and I, and I want God's word to be honored. So I'm, you know, we are responsible for the words that come out of our mouths. What is your responsibility if you're one of the people sitting out there? Excellent. Excellent. Why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think it goes beyond that, too. There's a verse in the latter chapters of Isaiah. He's talking about how bankrupt the nation of Israel is. And then he says, but on this one I will look. With favor is the idea. It, on him who is of, of clean hands and a pure heart. And then here's the key. And who trembles at my you're never called to tremble at my word. You're never called to tremble at John's words. But if you're sitting there listening and you're not asking yourself, is this accurate? Is what I'm being told right? Because if it is, I need to fear the thought of turning a blind eye to it or a deaf ear to it. Because God communicates to us through his word. And it's the word that we're talking about here. The, the parallels between the word and the word of John 1, the parallels are, are immense. There's a reason why you call them the word. God speaks the word with authority. It's not my authority. You're just telling me what to do. No. I'm just the messenger like John. So, does God want us to believe based on the messenger? No. 
Does he want us to believe based on what he looked like? No. Do we need to pattern our ministries, our, our ministries after? No. It's what is said about Jesus that matters. Believe John 20, 31. This talks about the purpose of the, of the whole book. But these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that if believing, you might have life in his name. Ah, now I see the light of what you're saying, Rex. Now I see the light. Do you? Do I? Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And then I'm skipping for a moment. I'll come back to it, to verse 11, the first phrase. He came to his own. Uh, we're going to cover that, and then we're going to cover the couple phrases that got left out uh, separately. <clears throat> what do you get from the phrase, which gives light to everyone? Sounds like an echo of verse 4 and 5. Light shines in the darkness. Talking about what the light does. And the darkness does not overcome it. There are two ways, and that's excellent, I appreciate that. There are two ways to read that, though. Um, theory one, everyone who comes into the world is given that light. Or, everyone who is given light receives it from that source. If, if, in other words, there is no other source of light. If, if you come into the world and you receive light, the true light, it's from Him. Now, why is that an important distinction? Because it helps explain verses like, uh, somebody look up Luke 11, 34 and 35. Somebody else, if you would, get John 3, 19. And somebody else, John 8, starting in verse 12. Luke 11, what? Luke 11, 34 and 35. What are the implications of that verse, that, that passage? If we take the assumption that everyone receives the same light. It's what you do with it. I mean, at the end of the day, it is exactly what you do with it. If you want to see the good and you want to be Christ-like, then that's what your eyes are going to see. That's what you'll focus on. That's what your body's going to do because that's what you're projecting. That's what your mind, like, 
It's all of it. If you don't choose to go that route, then you're going to see the darkness, and you're going to be in darkness, and you're going to go down the darkness, and you're so see the negative per se. So it all comes down to whether the darkness that is in you overcomes the light. Right. Yeah, yeah. But the darkness does not overcome light. The light. It should. So then the it does The true reflection see, of. But that's that's kind of the point of Luke right here is that darkness cannot overcome light. Right. So if you have darkness, it's because you never had light. Light. Right. That, yeah. So yeah. It's not that you had light and had a chance to respond to light, and therefore you didn't have that you chose darkness, that you never had light in the first, first place. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, uh, who, do you remember what prophet it was, that, any of you, that said, to the law and to the testimony, and if they do not speak according to these words, it is because they have no dawn. Mm-hmm. Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah, what, 16? 8. Is it 8? Um, there, he talks about those who have no light. He talks about those that it, where it would appear that the light, that the darkness overcame the light. But we have to interpret those in without changing our translation of. The light does, I mean, the darkness does not overcome the light. Well, how can that be? Well, if I have a flashlight, one of those really powerful things that'll light things on fire and has recoil, um, (laughs) and I shine it that direction, are there going to be, is there going to be darkness in the room? What's that? Yeah. Behind it. Behind it. Off to the sides, because it's got a focused beam that's aimed at one area. Does the darkness overcome it? No. Anywhere it is aimed, it's going to go. It's going to get where it's aimed. But off to, to the sides, off to the out behind it. You're not going to have the light. Uh, who has the next verse I asked for? Yeah. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And that. And it's so crucial that we not compartmentalize that and talk about that group of people as being they're the evil ones. They didn't want the light. Although that's true, but we have these ways that we want to feel better about ourselves because we saw the light. We were smart enough to recognize a good thing. Sorry, I'm just singing a hymn. Singing a hymn? Yeah. What is it? I saw the light. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I saw the light. I saw the light. 
You can't take credit. I can't take credit. Well, he, he loved me so much that he shined the light on me. Ah. What does that say about you compared to other people? People, this is what grace is about. And that's going to come up here if I can get to if I get to it. <laughs> no chance. Very little chance. Oh man. But we have to, I think, take this verse to be that everyone who receives the true light receives it through this source, from this source, and nowhere else. There is no finding our own way to God. There is no all roads lead to God. And so what's your last, and that's your last verse, what, eight? Your chapter eight, eight the last uh, reference that you have to look up. I'm the way, the truth, and life, no man comes Father, except through me, the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know if that's the one you're referencing, but no, because that's fourteen. Area. That's in the area, same area. That's in chapter fourteen. Fourteen six. I am the light of the world. Is that the one? That there talking? you go. Yeah. <laughs> I am the light of the world. Thank you. Anyway, uh, regarding this phrase that's used, coming into the world, uh, I like. I don't know what I think of the commentary as a whole, but I like what the New Bible commentary has to say here. It should be noted that when John uses the word world, more often than not here in this, this gospel, almost any time you come in, run into the word world, he's meaning more than the created world. The term is widely used of people as created beings who are opposed to God. In fact, in this gospel, there is a distinction between those who believe and the world that does not believe. And that's an important distinction to keep in mind as we move forward. Um, I think it, personally, I, it's raised some issues in me about the interpretation of that passage uh, that when, he, when the Holy Spirit has come, he shall convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We use that a lot to say that that's how he's going to bring them to salvation. But I, I'm leaning, and I see, I'm, I see I'm headed in Corey's direction here, that it's not saying that because he's actually in that context drawing a contrast. He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, but you are going to receive truth. And so he's contrasting the world and its reaction to him as the light. And but that why it hates the light. Yeah, yeah, it's why it hates the light. So uh, this raises the question, and I, I guess I've already sort of talked about it, and that is what claim does this light have on the world and its people? 
think we need to step back a little bit, go back to Genesis 1 3. Because he is the light. You know, when he when light came after you know the darkness was all over, he is the light going back to the word was beginning. He was that light even at the beginning of creation. And there is this this gets to the issue of God's orchestration of history, and history would include the creation, uh, of how he arranged the events of history to illustrate his plan of salvation. And that light piercing the darkness back then, physically, is a picture of the light that coming into the world I'm glad you brought that passage up. Uh, that light coming into the world and the darkness not conquering. Well, it primarily dismantles those that say that, okay, there was no light until we created it on the fourth day. You right. Know, things like that, but there was light as you used the illustration of the bright, you know. And, and that's because that argument comes in because, right. because they, people don't want to accept the fact that God is capable of creating light without that source that we are so accustomed to seeing. And that it can only come from the physical thing, the sun. No. If you read it carefully, it says that on the fourth day, he assigned that job to the sun. Until then, he was, he was somehow directly creating the light. Right, we're actually then pretty much states, you know, that's how we got our seven days of the week, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where the rest of creation each day was a plan or the construction of our, what we look at as a week. So getting back to the question, though, what claim does this light have on us? I think you see that in verse 10 and 11, he was in the world and the world, the world was made through him. And 11 says he came to his own. So I think the light has all claim. I don't know if you've ever owned anything before. But, <laughs> but if you have, then you, you have complete control over whatever it is you own. And so I think it's kind of... It's the claim of ownership. Absolutely. And that's why we need to tremble at his word. Uh, now... I started off this by saying, oh yeah, I see, but do I? So now we look at the, that second part of the question, or do I? Uh, and that is those two phrases that I left out. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world did not know him, did not recognize him. And then he came to his own, which could be translated his own things, and his own people did not receive him. The one is neuter, the other is masculine. He came to his own things, his own planet that he had created, and his own people 
refuse to acknowledge him. One of the burdens, and the crazy thing is, God in his awesome wisdom laid this burden on my heart before he actually saved me. <laughs> but one of the burdens I have carried for many years is the recognition that there are so many people in the seats of today's churches who are confident that they have a relationship with God, but who will find in that day that they do not. And the, the irony of laying that burden on my heart when I was headed in that direction myself is, is really strange. Yeah, it's not lost on me. Uh, but... Examine yourselves, Paul said, whether you be in the faith. So we're supposed to examine the scriptures, or, or excuse me, examine, uh, as, our, as our sister told us, the, what is taught to us, asking, is it true? But we're not to use ourselves as the measuring rod. Well, that doesn't sit well with me, it can't be true. Because we're also supposed to examine ourselves whether we are in the faith. Not like one person I know who, when I said that to them, said, I would be insulting God if I examined my, myself to see if I was in the faith. I, I don't follow the logic of that. Oh, right. Well, you're yeah. God. Right. Yes, if you're your own God. But uh, it. It is a very dangerous thing to sit where the light is being shined and filter it through something you're holding up between yourself and that light. That's a preconceived idea, a preconceived belief that you're going to judge the scriptures by. Let the scriptures speak, I beg you. I beg of you. Let them speak to you. I call upon you to do that. I can't make it happen. And in a, and in a real sense, you can't either. It, we're responsible for it. We are responsible to do that. But you can't and won't if God does not shine that light. But God who commanded the light to shine in darkness has shined in our hearts. Seek that light while he may be found. All right. Um, one more comment on the use of the word world. Um, this coming from Alexander Souter's lexicon. Note that the word world had taken on in the Jewish mind the connotation of the evil cruel, fierce, destructive, and corruptive heathen nations around Israel. 
Now, that's a paraphrase of his words. It's not a direct quote. But if this is John's intent in the use of the word world, then John is saying that Jesus came to both the Jewish and the Gentile world, and neither one would receive him. People want to blame the Jews for crucifying Christ. Don't forget that crucifixion was a Roman thing. Mm -hmm. The Jews would stone. It took both sides. All right. Verse 12. Let's try to move on here. 8-12. Got to wrap it up? Jesus spoke again to the people. What time should I be? Right now? (laughs) Okay. I've got... um, I've got uh, another whole page uh, to go. We'll cover that in the next 10 seconds. Uh, <laughs> maybe next week. Maybe next week. Uh, yeah, one, two weeks to okay, no, it's okay. Next week. Okay, all right. Um, I, maybe, the, maybe the Lord will open up the end and allow me to put together the end of this thing. <laughs> all right, let's... So wrapping it up, God has given us the word. And, and it doesn't just mean the pages. And in this passage, it's not meaning the pages at all. But the two always agree. The two are always in, uh, in, in unity. Why? Because the living word is the author of the written word. Every page of it. Every line of it. Let's have confidence in that word. Let's have confidence in the living word. They are sufficient. They are certain. And they are infallible. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the word. Thank you so much for the living word that actually came and tabernacled among us, pitched his tent among us. Lord, I pray for myself and for the people in this room that we might um, examine ourselves in the light of the word rather than examining the word in the light of ourselves. Jesus' name. Amen.